Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. My name is DJ Martin, church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. Today, we're continuing our series on costly faith and beginning the first of a two-part teaching on faith when I need to forgive. Today, we have a special treat, our minister of caregiving, Mr. Dave Willauer will be bringing the message, and he's going to be teaching from the book of Jonah. And that might seem like a funny place to start a teaching on faith and forgiveness, but we wanted to start there because, because of the challenges that Jonah faced in this story. You know, you know the story of Jonah. God gives him a mission to go preach to this, the city of Nineveh, and he runs in the other direction. Why? Why did he run in the other direction? Why, Why did he, this prophet of God, Uh, desire to flee from the message that God had given him? Well, the main reason is because he knew God is a God of forgiveness and a God of grace, and the people of Nineveh were his hated enemies. Uh, They they were part of Assyria, this, this nation that had devastated Israel. And so the last thing Jonah wanted to do was go preach a message that would cause them to repent so that they would receive God's forgiveness. So uh, this is the Costly Faith series, and today we're talking about the cost of faith and the cost of forgiveness. So we're going to be in the book of Jonah a little bit later. Throughout today's service, we want to invite you to engage the content in a meaningful way. So we've broken it up into three parts like we do in our on line services. There's the introductory part, which I'm doing, and then we'll have the message, and then we'll have the benediction. And these these will be broken up with a chance to work on our memory verse, as well as go through some discussion questions. So if you're alone, this is a chance for you to spend some time in reflection with the Lord. Or if you're with a group of people, or perhaps your family, this would be an opportunity for you to pause the video and have a conversation. So look for those questions, and then make sure that you take advantage of that, and spend some time in reflection and conversation. The memory verse that we've been working on for the second half of this series uh, is a a famous verse about faith, and it comes from Galatians 2.20. If if I were uh, to be asked, what's your favorite verse in the Bible, this would be right up at the top. This is one that I've returned to over and over again, and I really wanted to memorize it together as a church family. Galatians 2.20, I'm going to read it, and then you can pause the video and work on it in your home. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For the call to worship this morning, I'll be reading from Jonah chapter 2. This is when Jonah is inside the belly of the fish and the prayer that he prays there. I want to invite you, if you're, if you're physically able or in a place where you can do this, you can stand, and let's read it out loud together. Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath me bared me in forever. 
But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. You can have a seat. When we were preparing for this uh, service today, Dave sent me, Dave Willauer sent me this corporate exhortation that I thought was really good. So I, I want to read this together. Again, we can read this together. Um, you know, we've been talking in this series about faith being about our belief in God, but also about our allegiance towards him. Because pistis, the Greek word of faith, and if you've been tracking with us, you've heard me say this over and over again, it doesn't just mean belief in God, though it does mean that. It also means loyalty or allegiance, a steadfast allegiance that causes us to obey, live a life of obedience or faithfulness towards God, just as he is faithful towards us. And so I feel like this corporate exhortation um, that that is revolving around the story of, of Jonah really interacts with this concept of faith really well. So let's read this together. The word of God came to Jonah. The word of God comes to us. Go. Despite your fears, speak the truth of God. Love your neighbor and your enemy. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Receive grace upon grace, overflowing from the fullness of God. Amen. Before we transition to today's sermon, I want to invite you to reflect on the following questions. God is calling us to action all the time. God is a missionary God. He's an active God, and he calls us into that action and that mission. Have you ever heard God's call but resisted? If so, why did you resist? And can you think of a time when you changed your personal plans in response to nudging from God's spirit? Go ahead and have a time of reflection or discussion and then join us for this morning's message. It is true, you know, God is calling us to action all the time and not just far down the road and into the future either. He wants us to respond to him and to his call in the here and now. And I have to admit that I came up with those questions before I had fully internalized them, before I'd really thought about them. You see, I resisted God's call. So this message has become a very personal one for me and not what I originally intended or thought when I accepted DJ's invitation to teach today. But more about that in a minute. It is good to be with you today in this way. I'm happy for this opportunity to, to share with you. And I look forward to this time together, even if we can't be together in person. But let's pray. Oh God, you are our light and our salvation. Living in your presence, we have nothing to fear. Open our hearts to your word this day. As we hear the story of the call of Jonah, make us ready. Give us the faith to follow Jesus on whatever path he leads us, no matter how costly it may seem. 
cast aside our fears and doubts, and teach us to trust wholly in you, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. There were two things that I vowed I would never do in my life. I made these promises to myself about the time I was leaving high school and beginning my college studies to become an elementary teacher. I vowed that I would never become a principal, and I vowed that I would never become a pastor. So you can see how those things worked out. <laughs> well, God was already at work on me in high school. I knew that I was called to become a teacher. There were so many affirmations of that calling. I was certain of it. But God was also at work and beginning to lay the foundation for my calling as a minister. And I was just as certain that God had to be wrong about that one. I could not see how the two callings could possibly fit together, even though the pastor who had just retired at that point in time from Parker Ford Church was a teacher at Owen J. Roberts High School. I don't know how I could have been so blind not to see that. Well, during Pastor Bob Latchall's summer vacation in July of 1972, I was asked to provide a Sunday sermon. I was 18, and it took me hours and hours to write. I spread commentaries all over the kitchen table of the uh, basement kitchen in the old church down on Bethel Church Road. It's the same table that's in our, our current kitchen at PFC. And I don't remember very much about delivering that sermon. I remember that I was very, very nervous. And that nervousness must have had an effect on my delivery. That sermon was nine pages long, and I delivered it in seven minutes flat. It was appropriate then, given my reluctance, that my first sermon should be about Jonah, right? You know, I never put that together until just a couple of years ago. It had to be subconscious. No, it really had to be the working of the Holy Spirit, don't you think? You know, Jonah is a familiar story, but it's not a very flattering one, at least for Jonah. Oh, Jonah had faith. He definitely believed in the power of God, and his faith would be a costly faith. It would cost Jonah, but it would cost him because it wasn't strong enough. We don't know much about Jonah. We do know that he was a successful prophet. The assignment to go to Nineveh was not Jonah's first rodeo. He had proven himself. So Jonah gets the word, go to Nineveh, and he resists big time. He goes to the seaport of Joppa, and he gets on a boat, and he heads in the opposite direction of Nineveh to Tarshish, as far as anyone could go in those days, any further, and it, would be, it was believed that you would sail off the edge of the earth. You know, check out this map, and you can, you can see the extreme nature of his actions. Now, Jonah's escape plan runs into some trouble almost immediately when there is a storm, a bad one. So bad, in fact, that the crew begin to throw cargo overboard in order to lighten the ship's load to keep it from sinking. The men begin calling out to their gods to deliver them. And Jonah, Jonah is down below deck asleep, deeply asleep, we read. You know, talk about escaping 
As if boarding a ship for the furthest known point on Earth wasn't enough, no, Jonah escapes further by going to sleep. Now, I won't go into all the details, but it comes out that Jonah is running away from God and that he's the one that is responsible for this dire situation. Jonah admits it, and he tells the crew, throw me overboard and all will be well. But they resist. You see, they don't want Jonah's blood on their hands, so they row harder and harder, but it's no use. So reluctantly, they toss Jonah into the sea, which, by the way, was another attempt on Jonah's part to escape. You see, Jonah would rather die than obey God. I mean, seriously, how desperate can you get? But it worked immediately. The sea was calm, the winds were calmed, and this makes such an impression on the crew that they make sacrifices to Jonah's God and they make vows and promises to him. Now, I don't know about you, but so far I don't see a lot of faith in this story, or at least the right kind of faith. Oh, there is faith, it's just the wrong kind. There is belief. You see, Jonah knew God, he knew about God, he believed in God. Jonah feared God, but his fear was not respect. Jonah was just afraid. Jonah was afraid of what this call to him was, was going to cost him. After all, the Ninevites, well, they were Assyrians. They were enemies to the nation of Israel. And God was calling Jonah to not only go and preach to Gentiles, he was being called to go into the enemy's camp. His life could be in danger. And to take them a message of redemption and saving grace? Jonah didn't think so. Jonah was thinking that it would just be too costly. But it did wind up costing him in other ways, didn't it? In fact, almost costing him his life. Well, remember DJ's working definition of faith? A trusting belief in the faithfulness of God founded upon a steadfast and loyal allegiance to the Messiah. Now, Jonah didn't yet know the Messiah, of course, so we can substitute a steadfast and loyal allegiance to God in his case. How does Jonah measure up to this definition? Well, he had belief in the faithfulness of God, but that was all. It wasn't a trusting belief. He didn't trust God as evidenced by his escape plan. And he certainly wasn't steadfast and loyal in his allegiance. He didn't want to do what God was calling him to do. Oh, sure. After the experience of staying three days in the belly of the fish, Jonah had a change of heart, as evidenced by his prayer that D.J. read for us. And it still took some steadfast resolve even after the vomiting took place. You see, Jonah wasn't coughed up on the shores of Nineveh. Nineveh, Nineveh was inland. It was, it was landlocked. You know, remember the map? Jonah still had a journey of 550 miles on foot to get to the city. And we really don't get the impression that Jonah's heart is in this. He certainly didn't have any confidence. We get the impression that he delivers his message half-heartedly. And what was his message? It was simply 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But it worked. The people believed. They repented. They fasted. God relented. And then what did Jonah do? Well, he became angry. Listen to his rant against God. 
Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from calamity. Jonah was saying, well, way to go, God. You see that graciousness and that compassion, that slowness to anger and that abiding in love were fine when they were offered to Jonah. But now, to the enemy, to the Ninevites? Jonah didn't think so. Jonah asked God to just kill him. Here we go again. He'd rather be dead than see the Ninevites be forgiven. He can't do it. The cost is just too high for him. And he goes to the outskirts of the city and he waits for the city to be destroyed. Does that sound familiar? Has that ever happened to you? Well, I don't mean exactly. You know, most of us will never be called to go and preach to an enemy city of 120,000 people. But the same kind of thing has happened to all of us. And probably more times than we want to admit. You see, God is calling us to minister every day. Usually multiple times a day. And too often we get caught up in focusing on our life's calling. We look out off into the distance out to the, the horizon, to our future, and we neglect what is right in front of us. Not only what needs doing right in front of us, but we neglect to use the gifts that God himself has put into our very hands. And then, if we're called to minister to someone that we really don't care for, it could be an enemy, or maybe someone we don't just identify with, or someone we don't connect with or someone who doesn't move in our circles, that makes a call to minister even more of a stretch for us. Well, you know the story. Even after half-heartedly preaching to the Ninevite people, Jonah was still trying to escape, trying to run away. He's angry with God, and so he pouts. And I guess he was trying to see if his temper tantrum would change God's mind, even though we read that God had already relented from destroying the city. Then God gave Jonah the object lesson of all object lessons. Jonah had built this little shelter on the outskirts of town, but God caused a vine to grow that gave Jonah shade and protection from the wind. He was pretty comfortable in his sulking, and we read that he was very happy about the plant. But on the next day, God sent a worm to chew the plant, causing it to wither and die. And when the scorching wind started and the hot sun beat down on Jonah's head, well, he felt like he was going to pass out. And now Jonah is upset again. He says to God, it would be better for me to die than to live. And here we go again. But look at what God says in Jonah 4 verses 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have had concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also 
many animals. You see, Jonah cared more about a stupid vine than he did about 120,000 people. And God tells him, you didn't create this plant, and yet you're concerned about it. Why shouldn't I have concern about the people of Nineveh? And of course, this was to teach Jonah and also to remind us that God loves everyone. And that's it. That's the end of the book of Jonah. We don't know how the story ended for Jonah. Presumably, Nineveh escaped destruction. We're told that God relented based on the people's response, but we don't know what Jonah's response was. Did he continue to sulk and pout? Or did he see the error of his ways, make a turnaround, and embrace the costly faith of forgiveness? We never hear from Jonah again. We just don't know. So how about you? How does the story end for you? Now, I'm not talking about the end of your life. I'm talking about what God is calling you to do in the here and now, right now. It could be one thing, one situation, one story in your life, but most likely it's more than one. There are loose ends, things left undone, forgiveness left unsaid and unmade. Think about it. What needs doing? What needs immediate attention in your life. In just a minute, I'm going to have you think about a couple of uh, call to action questions. But before we take a look at those, join with me in prayer. This is really a prayer of confession. Father, we listen to the stories of the call of Jonah and also the call of the disciples and the call of Saul, who became Paul, and we find them interesting, but frankly, unrealistic. When we look at our own lives, we believe that we could not leave everything to follow someone we didn't know. We have many responsibilities and ties which keep us from following, but God, you're persistent. You understand our confusion and doubts, even when it calls for difficult forgiveness. And God, you continue to call us to be in ministry and mission in this world. It may not mean leaving everything behind, but it does mean being willing to serve you wherever you call us, and that's hard. We want to place conditions on service, and usually those conditions are, well, if we have time, or if we have energy, or if it doesn't have to involve that place, or those people, or people we really don't like. Maybe if we can just try serving God for a little while to see how it all works out. Still, you call to each of us. Discipleship is difficult. Forgive us, patient and persistent Lord, for the very many times we turn our backs on serving you and focus on our own comforts. Forgive us when we look the other way when people are in need. Forgive us our angry attitudes and actions which hurt rather than heal. Forgive us 
after we've forgiven others, because that's how you taught us to pray. Wrap your arms around us, healing our wounds, binding us to you. Gently move us into service in your name. Amen. So, these are the questions that I'd like you to contemplate in the next couple of minutes. The first is, have you been called by God to forgive someone and resist it? And the second, who do you need to forgive this week before another seven days go by? Think about, talk about these questions, and then join me in a minute or two for the benediction. God does call us to action. He calls us to action all the time and in so many ways. May he equip us as we go about our daily lives and as we face the week before us. Please open your hands in a posture of receiving as I give the benediction. Do not be afraid. God is with you. That is good news. You do not have to go through life alone, wondering if anyone cares about you or knows your heart. God knows. God cares, and God loves you. Rejoice, for thus it is, has always been, and will continue to be. God's love for you is eternal, and it is what emboldens your faith, quickens your resolve, and makes possible your ability to forgive others. Amen. Well, blessings to you. May God bless you as you go out into the world to love and serve others.